Pilots have seen things most people will only dream of. Your host, Jeff Lively, has had his fair share of time in the sky and has plenty of stories to tell. Here on Leaders of Aviation, we're speaking with others in the aviation industry to get their insight and inspiration. Together, we'll gain knowledge to pursue our goals. Life's a journey. Enjoy the flight. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Jeff, uh, your host for the Leaders of Aviation podcast. Today, I have a very special guest joining me. Uh, we came to know one, one another through another entrepreneur group, um, Arte Syndicate, if you are familiar. And Eric and I hit it off, and um, I'm very excited to be, to be able to talk to him today and a little bit about uh, his life and how he has uh, multiple things going on. So Eric Dragonetti, he is an entrepreneur, a flight school owner, a former airline pilot, and a current corporate pilot, and just an overall badass. Eric, welcome to the, this, uh, this episode. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. For sure. So, Eric, let's go ahead and just dive right into it, man. Uh, you know, what was it high school? Was it early college? You know, when, when did you start getting into aviation? Well, growing up, uh, we lived right under the approach path for McGuire Air Force Base out in New Jersey. So we were always seeing KC-135s and some other heavies rolling over our house all the time. And I'd always look up and, wow, oh, that's really cool. But that never really sparked my interest on being a pilot. I was like, I want to design jet engines. I want to be an aeronautical engineer. And uh, so I toured some schools for that and didn't really see that's kind of what I wanted to do after seeing all the courses. And so then I was like, well, maybe being a pilot would be cool. So my mom got me a discovery flight at the local airport. We went up in a 172. I lived on the ocean. So we got to buzz the beach in the summertime and had a blast there. So that kind of, you know, sunk the hook. And then from there, towards some schools, wound up finding myself at the University of North Dakota and did all my flight training there from zero flight hours all the way up to CFII. And yeah, after that, and started flight instructing, building some time. And that's what got me to where I'm at. Awesome. So, you know, for some of the listeners that are tuning in, they might not know necessarily what a discovery flight is or more so even how to even set one of those up. So, you know, what, what did that look like when, when your mom and yourself set that up? Well, she just kind of surprised me one day. She's like, Hey, I found an airport. They can, they do airplane rentals and you can go up with an instructor. And so we just kind of showed up at the airport. So as for setting it up, I didn't really know too much then, but now here at my flight school, we do discovery flights all the time. So kind of the general flow of everything is you find a flight school in town, you reach out to them, whether you call or email the, the flight school and say, Hey, you know, I've, I've got a son, he's 16, 17 years old, real interested in aviation. And I'd like to get him up in the air. So you call, you find some time that's scheduled and then you show up at the airport, you know, ready to rock and roll and take some photos, learn to fly. Right, hundred percent. So, with those uh, with those uh, coast flights that you took, you know how how close to the water did you get? We were flying around right about a thousand feet above the ground, and we yeah. dipped down a little bit lower. And you know, now when I do them, it's you know five six hundred feet, hanging out with the whales and stuff over there. You know, so sure. but yeah, you get down low, and when you're that low over the water and going across where you grow up, it's so cool to see it from the air. You're like, wow, that's what it really looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what you mentioned whales, have you seen, you know, wildlife and 
Whenever yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we'd be out there past, you know, past the sea break and you'll see dolphins, you'll see whales. I mean, I saw a really cool stingray migration the one day is just hundreds and thousands of stingrays just rolling like a quarter mile off the coast going southbound. And I don't know, I thought I saw sharks, might have just been dolphins or something. I don't know. But uh, it was it was cool. That's legit. I mean, you're, you know, I fly in Texas, so I don't see a whole bunch of water. But anyway, um, that's awesome, man. So University of North, North Dakota, um, you know, why, why did you choose them? And, uh, you know, that's like a premier aviation flight or not flight school, but uh, university. So what, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about your experience there. Yeah, sure. So when I was in high school, I was and decided I wanted to fly. I was like, hey, let's go find some schools to fly at. And of course, everyone knows Embry-Riddle and maybe Ohio and Purdue and everything. So I was like, oh, well, we'll go tour all that stuff. I didn't even know North Dakota was a flying school. So I went down to Riddle and I thought it was really cool. I was impressed with their campus and planes. And I'm like, all right, cool. So as we were flying back up north, my mom and I wound up sitting next to one of the administrators who worked at University of North Dakota. So naturally, my mom being a social butterfly starts chatting it up with her and talking about me because that's what moms do. They talk about their sons and, uh, oh, he wants to be a pilot and everything like that. And she's like, oh, well, North Dakota has a really good program. You should check it out. And that's kind of what it was. She gave us some information, some contact info. And then we called and set up a um, like a college visit, college tour during spring break. And which was great because North Dakota was warm during spring break. So they totally fooled me that it was super nice out there. Right. But uh, yeah, I toured it. I thought it was a sweet campus. I love their planes, their facility. Maintenance was top notch. And I was like, yep, this is where I want to go. And it was about half the price of Riddle too. So <laughs> saved me a lot of money there. Very cool. And temperature wise or climate wise, a little bit different, right? Yeah, it was cold. You know, New Jersey gets its snow and it gets cold. But I mean, North Dakota, man, it was like cool for the first two months. And then we started seeing zero degrees. And I was like, okay, that's cold. And then it was minus 10, minus 20, minus 30. And you're like, Jesus, does it ever stop? So it, it got cold. I saw a wind chill on the TV. I got a screenshot of it because I was in disbelief. But the wind chill was negative 74 degrees. And I was like, yep, hell froze over here. So <laughs> it was cold, man. That, yeah, that, that's chilly. Um, awesome. So with, with UND, um, CFII, all your ratings uh, come out as a flight instructor, right? So you're building your hours now. Um, are you working at UND? Did you move? You know, what, what were you doing after? Yeah, so after I did four years there, four and a half years. And once I finished, I went from zero to CFII, so certified flight instructor with an instrument rating who could teach instrument students. And I graduated December of 2016, and I was like, well, I had enough of the cold. I'm going to go thaw out. So I moved to Phoenix, <laughs> where it was nice and hot. So, And during that drive, when we moved from North Dakota to Phoenix, it was over 120 degree temperature change from North Dakota to Phoenix. And uh, it was wild. I left North Dakota. It was minus 30. And then I think we got into Phoenix. It's about 80 degrees. And I was like, wow, this is nuts. But uh, yeah, so we, we got down there and University of North Dakota has a sister school down there, their southern division, if you would. And uh, so I was actually still working for University of North Dakota, just their southern division down in Mesa. So I was still a flight instructor at UND, got on there. 
And um, since I did all my flight training at UND, I qualified for the restricted ATP program, which means I only need a thousand flight hours before an airline will come hire me. So I spent a year and a half in Phoenix building flight time, gaining experience as I built towards that magic number of a thousand hours to go be an airline pilot. Cool. Awesome. How long did that take? So I started in January of 2017 and I left March of 2018. So I was able to do it in about 14, 15 months. Wow. That's fast. <laughs> You're yeah, I was, I was flying about 80 hours a month plus, you know, working my tail off trying to trying to get to that goal. You know, that's everybody's goal. When you have a dream, you want to go for it. You work for it. 100%. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll also get into mindset here here in a minute as well. So, um, with becoming an airline pilot, so uh, you get your hours, a thousand, uh, restricted ATP and uh, which which airline was it again? Uh, I was flying for PSA Airlines. Cool. Okay, great. So what what were you uh, you know what would you get slotted on? Uh, they only fly the CRJ, so I was on all three variants: the two hundred, seven hundred, and nine hundred. Okay, great. And were you based out of Phoenix or you know so, somewhere else? Nope. So PSA is more of an East Coast thing. They service most everything east of the Mississippi, and they're branching out a little bit. We did some stuff in and out of Dallas, um, Minneapolis. <clears throat> I don't know. That's really it. But um, yeah, many, mostly Northeast, Southeast, everything East of Mississippi, but they had Philadelphia base at the time. And I grew up in New Jersey. So I thought Philadelphia would be great. I could be by my family. I was severely wrong, but uh, because I got an apartment in Philadelphia and I never went and saw family. But yeah, so I got hired on in September of 2018 with PSA and then got Philadelphia based. And I lived there for about a year and a half, did all my training, started flying for them. I was loving it. And then uh, I moved to Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. So what, what happened? <laughs> so first off, that area is super expensive to live in. And we were paying outrageous amounts of rent for a single bedroom apartment. That was kind of a piece of shit, really. And um, so I looked at uh, all the other bases. I wanted to move down south, be a little cooler. So I was like, oh, we could do Charlotte. We could do Knoxville. And we're just like, oh, Knoxville is kind of a nice place. Let's just kind of cold turkey move down here. And no friends, no family. Didn't even know Knoxville was on the map, honestly. And uh, they're like, yeah, let's give it a try. So I switched bases to Knoxville. We bought a house and that was that. And I was just Knoxville based and I loved it. Awesome. Very cool. So kind of, uh, I guess Tennessee is Southern living, right? That's what they say. Cool. Very very cool. Okay. So, um, after you became an airline pilot, um, you know, we, for those that don't know, uh, Eric, he does own a flight school as mentioned in, in the beginning. So, you know, where, where did uh, business really start coming into play for you? Well, after I moved down to Phoenix, or sorry, once I moved down to Knoxville, I was not flying all that much, just I don't know. I just wasn't getting used all that much while I was on reserve. So I realized that, you know, my true passion was teaching and I really liked GA, you know, general aviation, and all the people you meet in small airplanes. So kind of walked down to the local small airport and just started talking to some people and eventually found a guy who did some flight instruction at a small school and excuse me. And, uh, 
I was like, Hey, do you need a flight instructor? And he's like, yeah, actually I do. If you want to come join the team. So I said, sure. Like, Hey, I'm an airline pilot. He was an old Northwest guy. And, uh, he was like, yeah, we could use you. So I started working for him. He threw some students at me and started networking that way. And it's, it was such a different atmosphere than like UND or the big pilot shops, you know, Riddle, UND, stuff like that, where the guys that were flying here, the laid back part 61, there was, there was two types of people, you know, there was kind of the younger guys who aspired to be airline pilots, but didn't want to go to a big school, or it was the slightly older crew that was more established in their personal careers and had a little bit of expendable income to go, Hey, I want to fly an airplane or I want to buy an airplane. So I got to learn to fly one. And so it was cool because you, you would network and meet people like that. That's what I was doing. I was just flight instructing there. So you're kind of building up your network and, and then, you know, the, when did the idea pop? Hey, I might want to own my own flight. School. Sorry, I, got, I got muted. You're going to have to restart that. I got muted. I was getting a phone call. <laughs> no, you're good. No worries, man. Um, as, so when, when did the idea of, man, I might want to own my own flight school uh, come into play? Yeah, so I uh, I was really enjoying working for the other guy, but as time went on, we started having our differences in aircraft maintenance, and you know he didn't really teach any ground. He was a stick and rudder Navy pilot, which is awesome. I mean, everybody that flew could fly an airplane, but they didn't know where the limitation of the Charlie airspace that we were under started at. So it was like that's kind of important, but nobody was doing ground lessons, so. We didn't quite see eye to eye on that. And then there was some maintenance issues that started coming into play where I didn't feel safe in the airplanes. And we just had we kind of gotten a big disagreement. And he's like, well, if you're not going to fly the planes, there's no reason for you to work here. So it was mutual, but, you know, he basically fired me. And I was like, okay, well, it's probably stupid, but okay. Yeah. And then didn't really, didn't really have any ambition to start the flight school until COVID came around and... I realized that I was going to lose my job at the airline with all the furloughs coming up. So with that, I had a little bit of money left over, talked to a couple guys in that RTA group. And I was like, Hey, I'm losing my job. I need to take out some money. I think I'm just going to buy an airplane and teach out of it because I do know quite a few people that like flying with me and I'd be, they'd be more than happy to come to me and teach and, and learn. So I was able to get some funding for a nice 150, put all glass Garmin touchscreen avionics in it. And, uh, yeah, I bought that airplane. I got furloughed the same month I got it back from the avionics shop. I had two or three people and I was like, hey, I'll just teach, at least pay the mortgage and eat some ramen. And uh, <clears throat> that was great for three months and I had a good time. Then I got my job back at PSA, realized how much debt I really had in this airplane. And I was like, well, I don't really want to give this up. And now I'm flying for PSA a lot. So what am I going to do? Right. So <clears throat> then I was, I kind of came to the conclusion, I was like, you know what? I I basically have a business aviation degree. Maybe I should kind of use that. You know, maybe I can run a flight school. That'd be cool. So I started running through the, the true paperwork for it and applying for all the grants or not the grants, the um the permits and everything at the local airport to become a flight school and it all got approved. I'm like, all right, cool. This is like legit now. And it was really just me and one of my buddies that I've been flying with for a while and taught him, you know, through instrument all the way to CF double I. And I was like, Hey man, you want to, want to fly me? I got a couple of students you can throw your way. And that's where it started, man. And, uh, it's just been kind of growing from there. That's awesome, man. I remember when we, um, I think we had connected early on, uh, right, right, right when you were getting, uh, the Cavu pilot 
uh, really up and up and running. And uh, it was, it's just it's cool to see uh, the progression that has happened. And and uh, you know, speaking of the Arte Syndicate, so um, as a as a business owner, you know, mindset is extremely important. And um, for those that don't know what Arte is, you know, maybe give a little bit of a description of of what it is and and uh, uh, you know what or more so how it, it helps with your, uh, you know, business development. Yeah, sure. So my brother joined RJ Syndicate um, probably about a, six months before I did. And then he let me know, he's like, hey, there's a uh, opening in this elite group of entrepreneurs where it's really just a sweet network of people who have been there and done that and new guys who are just trying to get their foot in the door. And it's great for networking for anything that you need, you know, whether you need to learn how to do trademarking or you need to get a loan or anything in between, there's somebody there that you can network with to help you out. So that group has been extremely useful, not just from the services that I needed and kind of guiding me in the right, right direction for legality wise and all that, but also just kind of helping me stay focused for anybody who actually has tried to do entrepreneurship or start like that. Everybody thinks it's fun until you realize that you work more than you would at any other job. And it's really easy to get depressed and demotivated while doing that. And that doesn't help when you're flying airplanes either. So a lot of guys, even when you'd have some, you know, you'd be having a hard time. There was a lot of guys in there that said, hey, you know, this is how you keep your head straight. This is what you've got to look forward to. And here's some resources that help me get by and over those humps to keep on truck and keep on going. So that group is helpful from literally everything from just the mindset over to the legal and the money side of it. Awesome. So did you know, um, I know you mentioned that your brother was a part of the group, uh, six months prior. Did you ever hear of Andy Priscilla and Ed Milet? Uh, he started, he started sharing a couple of their podcasts with me. You know, I didn't know too much of it. Um, this was back when Andy was still just posting a lot of car stuff and Jason would send Jason, my brother would send me a bunch of car photos. Like, look at this guy's car. I was like, that's cool. You know? And that was really it, man. I really had no intentions of ever starting anything. You know, I was still, I was, you know, I didn't really have all that much money. So I was like, ah, I don't, I can't afford the membership. I don't know if I want to do it. And he's like, man, it's been really cool. Like just take the, just take the step, just do it. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really even have, any true ambitions at that point. But then once I was in there, the ideas that I had, it was so much easier to just execute on. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can actually do this. Sure. It, would you say it was kind of like a, uh, you know, Oh, if you can do it, I can do it type of thing. A little bit. I've always been real competitive. I was like, well, if you could do it, I could do it. Oh, so yeah. yeah, we could do it, especially when it's your brother. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw what avenue you took. I was taking more so of the, of the, of the Arte with, you know, in the group, seeing other people succeed, but I, oh yeah, yeah, that as well, you know, that as well. And, you know, you see them going and you're like, well, no, they're just normal dudes. Like I am. I'm sure yeah. I could figure that out. You know? So what, when you first started getting into the business, you know, what was one of your biggest, uh, shocks per se like holy crap what what am i getting myself into uh well i think the biggest one was after i started bringing on other people to fly with me um you know you've been doing things your way for so long and you know where your knowledge base is at and 
it's just different when you're letting somebody else work with your $60,000 piece of equipment. Yeah. And, you know, you're putting your faith and being like, all right, well, they've all had training. They should be able to do it too. So, you know, that was really hard. And, you know, you hear it all the time and all that stuff. It's like, it's hard to bring on other people. And, you know, the old saying, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. So, (laughs) you know, and Arte helped me with that. Then the next thing was really keeping track of accounting. I mean, before it was just a gentleman's handshake, like, hey, man, you owe me some money for some flight training. Could you write me a check, you know, and, you know, and then then the maintenance bills pile up. You're like, well, where did I put all that money to pay the bills, you know? So I think accounting and then obviously expanding and trusting other people to do the right thing was was kind of hard. For sure. And so, um, you know, with uh, flying, at, flying out of the Knoxville airport, you had mentioned that that's where you started with the other guy, right? So yeah, yeah. moving forward, now you're opening up your own flight outfit. Um, you know, I've been following you. You've been growing tremendously and have a great flight outfit um, there at the airport. So um, talk a little bit about that. You know, was there any awkwardness? Is there, you know, what's... <laughs> Yeah. So, um, airport politics. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I was basically just the guy who's like kind of an airport bum and I was working for that other guy, the mutual sign off, if you would call it. Right. We were both like, well, I don't want to work here cause I don't trust it. And he's like, I don't want you to work here because you don't want to fly my airplanes. So, you know, we definitely did not go off on good terms, but you know, it's kind of, he's a good old boy too. So he's like, you know, you do you, I'll do me and we'll leave it at that. You know, you don't bother me. I don't bother you. But, you know, even though like from a business perspective, he wasn't, you know, we didn't see eye to eye. He's, he's one of the best dudes I've ever known, you know, super caring. He would take care of you, get the shirt off your back. So, uh, but now we're actually pretty good. I wouldn't say good friends, but you know, we definitely get along, you know, if we see each other, we stop and talk, Hey, how are things going? Do you see this crazy stuff going on the news, bitch about fuel prices being so high and, you know, go about our separate ways. Um, And then there are a couple other flight schools on the field as well. And while I don't really talk to them too much, you know, that they kind of give me the stink eye when I'm around because they're like, Oh, it's just a dude with an airplane. And now he's doing all this. Oh, he's going to steal our business and everything. So, you know, the competition's definitely tough, but, you know, we've always prided ourselves on having the the nice avionics, the best instructors around. And, you know, I think everybody's, you know, just the reputation that we're building ourselves between our airplanes and our awesome flight instructors is what's really helping us grow and excel so fast. And that's a little bit of that competition too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, a little bit of the competitive nature definitely keeps you growing. Absolutely. Business in America, right? Um, competition always sharpens the sword per se. Yep. Uh, so you mentioned that you're expanding, that you're growing, scaling, you know, just, uh, uh, I don't know if you mentioned, but I know you just purchased a new airplane. So, you know, how are things currently going and uh, when is that next airplane coming? Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, started with the Cessna 150 and we just exploded on growth and, I was like, heck, I need another airplane. But the airplane market right now is absolutely ridiculous with how expensive everything is. So we were looking for a used airplane, and we were actually able to find one on the field here. It's a 1974 Beechcraft Sport. Nice. It's like um, 
a Beechcraft Musketeer. It's kind of a, it's like a Beechcraft version of a Cherokee. Okay. Is what it is. So low wing, fixed gear, 150 horsepower, but it's a Beechcraft. So it flies like a bonanza. It is so sharp. And of course, for the cabby way, we just threw an ungodly amount of avionics in it. So it's got the new Dynon touchscreen, uh, was it Skyview HDX, a whole Garmin stack, GPS transponder. We've got synthetic vision, uh, Jefferson charts that come up on the displays, um, ADSB in and out, uh, was it airport view, self taxi, all this stuff. Like it is unreal. And yeah, so we got that sport. It just went online today, actually, is the first revenue flight in it. So we were getting everything fixed up with that. And, We'll see how that goes. And the plan right now is maybe to the end of the summer with that one, see how we do between the uh, Cessna 150 and the Beach Sport, and then probably start looking into the next one. And I think the next one will probably be a new airplane. So now that once you're, once you're establishing business for two years, it really opens you up the doors, profitable business for two years. It really opens up the doors for more business financing where, you know, you can start getting the big loans. So the big boy loans, as I say, you know, it's it's not the hundred thousand dollars, it's the one million dollars that you need to, you know, gain that actual capital. So we got a couple more months and then we can start really applying for those big loans to to grow what we need to. That's awesome. So like, you know, with the airplanes and, and all the upgrades that you've mentioned, you know, that, that's part of uh one, the way that aviation is going, right? With all the new technology. And so that's sure. another competitive advantage, right? Providing not only the best instructors the Cavu way, but also the upgraded avionics and the types of systems that these pilots are going to see in the future, in the very near future. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's kind of where I went to, you know, starting out in the UND, they had haul the new G1000. So honestly, I never really flew too much six pack stuff. And, you know, this is the old school six instruments, team gauges. And I started to, and just like, man, the glass is so much nicer. And that's what you're flying. You're going to fly any airliner. It really any newer jet, it's gonna have some sort of glass in it. So most of the the clientele that we tailor to want to either buy their own airplane and the dudes who buy their own airplane want the nice stuff in it, or they want to be airline pilots and they're gonna be flying glass. So I was like, well, let's teach to that. And that's something that no one else here offers. So people see it and they're like, Wow, shiny iPhones in the cockpit, let's do it. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's been really good and it, it tailors to what the future is. You know, we're not hopping back into a 1950s airplane. We're hopping into a 2040 airplane, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, I know you recently did a career change as well. So kind of talk about outside of, uh, you know, owning the flight school, um, you know, talk about that. Sure. So I thought the airlines was going to be my forever home. For in a sense, right? I was like, you know what? I'm loving the airlines. It was everything I could ever ask for. I, it's an easy job, man. The airlines are easy. You show up to work. The paperwork tells you where you go. You plug it in. You hit autopilot, and you know, eat some donuts or something. But uh, when once COVID really shook up the aviation market, and it it's changed. But uh, basically, what happened to me is I've always been quality life over chasing the most money I can or the most flight hours I can. And it's like, I want to work, I want to make a good living, but you know, having all this money is stupid if you can't hang out with your family, you know? So I was like, 
I want to stay in Knoxville. Well, COVID hit and after the furlough and everything, we came back and they said, well, we're closing Knoxville as a crew base for all you guys, which meant I had to commute to work. So the closest base for me was Charlotte. So now my 30 minute drive to work turned into a four and a half hour drive to work. And well, or I had a 30 minute drive to work, fight somebody to get an open seat on an airplane where now everybody who lived in Nashville is also fighting for those three open seats to go to Charlotte, to go to work. So it was extremely stressful. You're showing up, waking up at the crack of dawn, trying to get on a first flight to go to work at 2 p.m. And uh, it was just extremely stressful. So after a few months of commuting, I started getting tired of it. I was like, man, there's got to be something better. But I'm not at a point where I can make enough money to live off of the school and I'm reinvesting everything. Right. So I was like, I got to find another job. And this was two years in the making, but I've been networking and just trying to get my foot at the door at this really lucrative corporate job that I wanted here in Knoxville. And, uh, I actually was at a hotel on an airline trip and I got a call from the chief pilot. He's like, Hey man, I'm the chief pilot. Uh, wondering if, you would want to come do some contract work for us, get your foot in the door for maybe a full-time position. We're looking for some pilots. I was like, yeah, that'd be really cool. So uh, yeah, I did two months of contract flying for them. And in December, they or just shy of December. They offered me the full-time position uh, as their corporate captain over there. And uh, I, I mean, that was an easy yes. You know, I was scheduled just like the airlines. I know my schedule a month in advance. It's a great salary. And um, you know, it's, it's a, cool airplane. It's a Phenom 300 with G3000 Prodigy touchscreen displays. It's, it's a badass airplane. I was like, yes, I want to fly that. So uh, yeah, it was a no-brainer when I got the call and offered the full-time job. And that's where I wanted to be. And I'm home. You know, I'm back to my 30-minute drive. They only work about 12 days a month. So I get a lot of time off. I love it, man. And it gives me more time for the flight school. That's awesome. I mean, that that's just a really good setup. Uh, you know, with, with the uh, contract flying and now being the captain over there, you know, what, what, what are some of the missions that you fly? So our job is, you know, it's trying to do this without giving away everything. Cause they don't want, you know, they don't want their name out. There. So, uh, um, or so maybe like is obviously it's for business. I, I assume, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So basically um, they have a fleet of five airplanes and they fly all over the U.S. And we fly the corporate executives to their stores to be able to, you know, whatever corporate execs do at their stores. But uh, so we're based out of Knoxville and they they fly all over the world or all over the world, all over the U.S. to their stores. And that's really it. A typical mission could be a day trip to from Knoxville to Charlotte and back or it could be Knoxville to San Diego or Knoxville to Washington for four days. It really varies, but really all we are is a bus driver for corporate executives. Nice. Not too bad, right? What was that, what was that transition training like from, from you know, a, a big jet to a you know, smaller jet person? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, you know, everything's in the mindset of passenger comfort, whether you're flying an Airbus or you're flying a, a Phenom, right? Um, but it was the laid back kind of like, Hey, we'll, we'll get there. You know, it's part 91 flying. So the airlines are extremely standardized and that's all I've ever done. Being in that GA world definitely made the transition easier because GA is kind of like, Hey, you know, here's the checklist. Let's use it. Let's get done. Whatever, dude. You know, um, where that's kind of where that GA 
the you know the part 91 jet flying is it's like hey show up instead of wearing the whole suit i should i show up in a polo and jeans nice. and just fly i mean it's cool but it's definitely more laid back there's more oh what's the word there there's more obligations that you have to fulfill there you know you're not just the pilot anymore you're putting the bags in the plane you're making sure that the snacks are full and the drinks are set right you're filing your own flight plan you're making sure the weather's good you're booking the hotels you're getting your own cars and, and everything so there's definitely more on the plate but it's really not that hard i mean you booked a hotel before you bought a rental car before you know it's it's just more that you have to do it's not all set up for you so yeah you know it's not just show up to work here's the paper and go it's a little bit more planning the night before but it's, it's awesome man i love it that's awesome i mean you know i've Hopefully, you know, one day I'm able to get into some corporate flying, but that that's the setup right there. Yeah, it was, it was a unicorn job and there was no way in hell I was leaving the airlines for, you know, an on-call six days a week, two-hour call out for 50 grand a year. Like, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I found this one, it was like, this is the only thing I would leave for. It's got to be this. And I only knew of three companies in the whole U.S. that did it. And, uh, you know, when you kind of, I don't know, you talk it into reality. Two Absolutely. years of just nonstop talking. I want to do this. That jet is so badass. I was like, who do I got to talk to to do this? And two years of networking for it. You know, it's not one of those things that comes to light right away, but you know, that was the RTA way. You know, it's hey, you just keep going. And eventually it just turned out. Shit, man, they're going to be carrying me out of there in a coffin because I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, someone. Uh, is always watching and you know trying to see not necessarily your next move but just you know kind of how you carry yourself what the things that you're doing to set yourself apart from potential other candidates um right you know those those types of things for sure always go a long way um so uh you know with for those that don't know um Eric and I, we, we've uh, actually partnered in a little bit of business um, with uh, digital marketing services. And so, um, you know, maybe, maybe speak just a little bit of on, on that, you know, how has that helped your business? Has it, um, you know, just full, full honesty. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, you know, starting out, it's always, you're the little guy with the word of mouth and the internet is huge these days. And around here, not a lot of people are doing it. I think people are just starting to realize that jumping on the social media train is, and, you know, online media marketing is the way to go. And so I, you know, knowing you, Jeff and everything coming to me like, Hey, you know, I've got this, you know, I've got this service that I think could truly benefit you. And being that you were in that, you know, that Arte group, it was like, well, hell, if he says it's good, I trust him. Let's go for it. Right. So I didn't really have much recognition around here. There's just a little bit of word of mouth with a couple of people I could reach out to. But I was like, everybody goes to Google to figure out where they're going, reads the reviews. And I was like, being the new guy and not knowing quite how that online marketing works, I just typed up what I knew, which is aviation, but not everybody knew aviation terms. So when you know we hooked up with you and your digital marketing, they found a lot of weak areas and a lot of strong areas. And we were able to work through that together and change up maybe how the sentence was worded and stuff and helped me get recognized on Google and everything around Knoxville. And you now I'm 
I believe it's working. You know, I was, everything has always been word of mouth. Every phone call I ever got, oh, how'd you hear about me? Oh, my buddy was flying with you. I heard you're great. And now I'm getting more stuff like, oh, I saw you on Instagram. Oh, I saw your Google thing. You know, we looked you up that way and uh, sent me an email. I saw your website. It's great. And, you know, without having that online marketing and digital services that you guys were providing, like, I don't, I think naturally it would have taken a long time to get there. And the fact that we are doing it naturally, but it's accelerated, I think that's working out the best because we're not just paying to be at the top. We're, you know, organically working our way to the top by just people recognizing us. So I, I'm a firm believer, man. I think it's working great. Awesome. Love to hear that. You know, that that's what we're all about. We want to help, uh, especially you. And just know that we're we're not going to go to your competition either. We are full uh, Cavu pilots. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> sure. Uh, very excited though to make that happen. Um, you know, you're doing all the work and, and uh, you know, your account looks great. So um, kind of wrapping up here, you know, if people want to connect with you, you know, what, what's a good place to, uh, uh, to follow you, you know, see some of your content that you put out. Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, we've got my flight school here in the Knoxville downtown Island airport, right on the river by the city. Um, and that's the Cavu pilot flight school, really. Um, you can go on the cavupilot.com to check out our webpage, our airplanes and kind of our flight training programs and what we offer. We've got an online training program there that helps you prepare for your practical test ride. Um, we've got the Cavu pilot on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And same thing on TikTok. I mean, it's all the same. It's all the Cavu pilot and everything and it's glory. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's awesome. Um, so one last question for you, you know, with, uh, since this is the leaders of aviation podcast, uh, you know, what is one leadership principle, um, you know, that kind of ties in with aviation that you would want the listeners to, uh, uh, you know, to, to grab hold of. I think attention to detail is the biggest one for pilots. You know, people say flying is just precision guesswork, but you know, it's, it's seeing the numbers, seeing where you're going, staying ahead of it, recognizing the small little changes and being able to adapt and fly with that. So the attention to detail from the pre-flight to the cruise to the landing, that's what really helps excel you when you're a pilot. So that'd be my go at it. Love it. Hell yeah, brother. Well, hey, thank you for your time today. Uh, Again, uh, you know, well, I know that we're going to stay connected and, you know, look forward to seeing that next phase of the Cavu pilot. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it and uh, take it easy. You too, brother. All right. Thank you for tuning into the leaders of aviation podcast. Make sure to share this with someone, you know, that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. 